I don't typically derive my theology from country music, as I'm sure you likely imagine. But nonetheless, there's a line from an old Leanne Walmack song that I find quite theologically profound. I hope you still feel small when you stand beside the ocean. Do some of y'all remember that line? I hope you still feel small when you stand beside the ocean. Love that line. And here's why I say that I find it to be theologically profound. I say this because it is a beautiful image of Christian humility. We see, this is what humility from a Christian standpoint is supposed to be about. Not self-effacement, not self-abnegation. It's about being overcome by the immensity of creation, about being overawed by it. It's about being rendered speechless by our own smallness in the face of God's boundlessness. And in that moment, knowing ourselves to be limited and rejoicing somehow on account of that limitation. And here's why this is relevant for us this morning. This is relevant for us this morning because there are two ways in life that we can respond to situations in which we are confronted by things that are obviously bigger and greater than we are. We can respond in such situations with sincere humility, or we can respond in hopeless resignation. Which is to say, we can look at the proverbial ocean, And we can say, wow, how great it would be to someday sail across it. How great it would be to dive in and feel its salt upon my skin. How great it would be to sit aboard a boat and appreciate its wonder and its power and its majesty and its awe. We can say that or we can look at the proverbial ocean and we can say it is just too big. And who am I to think I could ever cross it? One of these is the response of humility. The other of these is the response of resignation. And these two responses and the difference between them is what is at the heart of our gospel lesson this morning. Here in Mark's gospel, Jesus has just gone up a mountain with his disciples so that they can have some alone time. When he sees that a multitude has indeed followed them to where they are. And the text tells us that, quote, he had compassion on them. And so, to take stock of the situation, it's getting late in the day. He sees that these people are far from home. They're far from the closest McDonald's. And Jesus knows that they need to eat. So according to the text, he turns to Philip and he says, quote, Where will we buy bread For these people to eat. Where will we buy bread, Philip, for these people to eat? 
And here's the moment in the story where we do well to suspend for a moment the fact that we know what's coming next. That is, to suspend for a moment that we know the story's climax, that we know that this miraculous feeding of the 5,000 is about to take place. Because when we do suspend that knowledge, and when we then put ourselves in Philip's shoes, Philip who did not know what was going to happen next, when we do that, we suddenly then realize just how preposterous Jesus must have sounded to Philip. I mean, think about it. It's already almost dark. There is no market remotely close by. And there are some 5,000 people standing in front of where Jesus is pointing as he asks Philip, where will we buy them something to eat? Moreover, it's a preposterous question even if there were a market nearby. For it's an overwhelming implication even if so. 5,000 people? Really? Feed each one? In other words, even if there were a market nearby, how could they be expected to procure that many resources? So we should not have trouble relating to Philip in this passage and to understanding the response he gives, which is, quote, Jesus' eight months' wages would not buy enough for each one to have a bite to eat. Eight months' Wages. Now I ask you, is Jesus not just stating the obvious here? I mean, sorry, is Philip not just stating the obvious here? Is he not just looking out at this vast crowd of people, most of whom are strangers? And is he not just overwhelmed by how daunting the task would be? And is he not therefore telling Jesus, this idealist, what any logically minded person would? Is he not just saying, Jesus, it's impractical, man. But more than that, Jesus, it's quite literally impossible. It can't be done. I'll tell you this. It's what I probably would have said. But then just before Jesus can respond to Philip in this passage, Andrew speaks up. And Andrew, interjecting himself, says, Here are five loaves and two fish that I have, but how far can these go among so many? Here are five loaves and two fish I have, but I mean, how far can these go among so many? And right here, lurking just underneath these few words, right here lies not only the heart of this short passage, but also a key principle of the kingdom of God. Here is what I have to give God, and it is so small and so insufficient, but here nonetheless I give them unto you. Here, God, nonetheless, I give them unto you. But how far can they possibly go? I want us to look closely at this response, for there's only a slight difference between it, that is, between Andrew's response and Philip's. Just 
the slightest difference, but that difference is all the difference in the world, for it is the difference between resignation and humility. Now let us consider carefully. Both Philip and Andrew look at the same seemingly impossible situation. 5,000 hungry people, all of whom need food now. And both of them know how overwhelming this problem is. For make no mistake, Andrew was under no illusion as to what it is that they were facing. Andrew, remember, also has no idea what's about to happen next in the story. So here then we have Philip and Andrew, two models, if you will, of how we as disciples of Jesus can respond to overwhelming situations in the world. One throws up his arms in hopelessness. The other opens his hands in humility. One says it's impossible and impractical. The other agrees, yes it is. And then says, but here God is what I have nonetheless. One says, it's just too big for me. And the other says, it's just too big for me too. Yet here, God, I am all the same. It's just too big for me. Let me tell you about some things that are just too big for me. This very day, 870 million people around the world do not have access to enough food. 1.5 million children die each year from hunger. Over 800 million people today have no access to clean water. None. Of those, 2,500 die each day. Over 1.6 million people right here at home in America are homeless. 775 million Americans use illicit drugs each year, and in the last decade, the number of drug-related overdoses rose 56%. 30 million people today live in slavery. 80% of those are sexually exploited. 600 to 800,000 people are trafficked across international borders each year. 80% of those are women. 50% of those are children. Is that a problem? Is all of this a problem? You better believe it's a problem. And it is a problem that is just too big for us. But here's the point of this sermon, dear family. Regardless of how big the problem is, it is nonetheless our responsibility as Jesus followers to do something about it. Because according to the Christian account of reality, each and every one of us was created by God, created in the image of God. And each and every one of us, as children of God, were given five loaves of bread and two fish. 
That said, though, even knowing we have these five loaves of bread and two fish, when we look at the enormity of the problems in the world and then consider our own helplessness in fixing it, we, like Philip, are often inclined to put up our hands and put away our loaves and our fish and store them in our pockets and save them for ourselves because, let's face it, we can't feed 870 million people. We can't. We can't give 800 million people clean water. We can't shelter 1.6 million people. We can't end human trafficking and sex slavery. We just can't do all of that, right? We're just stating the obvious. And even if we do help feed one hungry person or give water to one thirsty person, or provide shelter to one homeless person. In the final analysis, is that not just one in several million? Is that not just a single drop in the ocean? Objectively speaking, it is, and we know it. And so, yes, it would be nice to be like Andrew, we think, But the truth of the matter is, Philip's philosophy of life seems a whole lot more practical to us. But having acknowledged that fact, let me tell you the story about an Andrew I once knew. His name is Dixon Hindley, but these days people know him by Doc. Doc grew up a few miles away from me, and though he was a couple years older than I, we had several mutual friends. And so I knew of Doc and would hear about Doc from time to time. And as I recall, Doc was, he was just an everyday guy. He was into motorcycles, he was into guitars, he was into pretty girls, he was a handsome guy. He was into church. Well, about two decades ago, Doc was working as a bartender and playing guitar gigs at various bars in and around Raleigh, North Carolina. And around that time, he, like all of us, was reading these horrifying stories about the genocide happening in Sudan and about the countless deaths that were taking place and about the number of refugees who were being forced to flee their homes and about how in the midst of all of this, millions of displaced people had no access to clean water. And so one night, the story goes, an idea occurred to Doc. He could start using some of the tips he made while playing guitar to buy a water filtration system that he could send to Sudan. And he called this idea wine to water. And the original goal was just to raise enough water to install one water filtration system in one village in Sudan. But then something that he could never have imagined took place. After that first event, people began spreading the word about what he had done, about how clever his idea was. And so he began to host more of these wine-to-water events. 
And suddenly, over a relatively short amount of time, he had more money than he'd anticipated. And so soon enough, he'd begun contracting with various governmental agencies and philanthropic organizations. And then before he knew it, he found himself spending time in Sudan himself, actually helping install some of these water filtration systems, something he had heretofore known nothing about. And the more time he spent in Sudan, the more committed he became to this project and to these people. And the more that he saw his contributions benefiting the local people, the more committed to the global issue he became. And so here now is the important thing I have to and want to stress to you about Doc. Doc didn't have any philanthropic or humanitarian background. He didn't have a master's degree in social work or nonprofit management. He had never studied academic theory on global water supply. He'd never even been to Africa. He was just a guy who played guitar and could draw a decent-sized crowd on a Friday night. And one day when he heard that 800 million people across the world lacked access to clean water, instead of saying, who am I to do anything about it, he instead said, here, God, are all these thirsty people, and all I have is this little guitar. But how far could it go? among so many. Well, here's how far. To date, into India and Cambodia and Uganda and Peru and Haiti and literally all across the world. And by the way, in 2009, CNN named him one of its top ten heroes of the year. All because he looked at a problem and said, it's just too big for me, but here's what I have, Lord. But how far could it go among so many? It's a great story. It's a true story. And so the question in response to it becomes, how might we as Boulevard Baptist Church absorb this story? How might we absorb this lesson of Andrew and of Doc Henley? How might we absorb this story and make it our own story? Which is to say, when we look at Anderson... When we look at South Carolina, and when we look at the United States, and when we look at the wider world, who are the hungry 5,000 that we see? And what are the five loaves and the two fish that we as Boulevard Baptist Church are holding? And how might God use our loaves and our fish if we were to hand them over saying, here are these, O oh God, but how far can they go among so many? I don't know the answer. But as followers of Jesus, I think it's our responsibility to find out. Because as a famous C.S. Lewis quote puts it, the weight of our neighbor's glory should be laid daily on our backs, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken, for despair can't carry it, 
And hopelessness can't carry it. Resignation surely can't carry it. But humility can. Oh, that we'd know the true humility of being followers of Jesus. Oh, that we'd still feel small when we stand beside the ocean. But oh, that we'd still be willing to wade out into it nonetheless. Which is to say, oh, that we'd be willing to pull out our five loaves and our two fish and see how far they might go among so many. And all God's people said, Amen.